I appreciate being here. And just as soon as Ted asked me, I knew what I was going to say. And I've asked the police to lock the doors uh, because this is not going to be easy for you. It's fine for me, but uh, it's going to be tough on you because I'm going to bring some challenges that uh, maybe you haven't thought about. And uh, I hope to develop your commitment. We're here as a church because the church, one of the goals of the church is to strengthen us for the days ahead, to prepare us for the future, whatever that might be. And I'm not going to speak politically, but you know that we're in trouble in America, on all fronts, it looks like. And so I think we need a lot of things. We need fellowship, we need teaching, but we need commitment because things are going to happen that maybe we aren't prepared for. And I hope that I can help you along that line. I feel that Brother Keith's heart is in the same place because uh, we've talked on different occasions and he wants to see the church grow spiritually. Uh, it's okay numerically, but we need to grow spiritually. Uh, big isn't always good, and that's what I tell pastors in Africa. Quit worrying about getting a big congregation. Minister to the ones that God has given you, and the Lord will bless. And sure enough, that happens. As you may remember, uh, Brother Keith speaks quite often of Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, about a living sacrifice. I'm going to give you the flip side of that today, and it's not going to be easy. You know, I've never seen a miracle, but uh, I think if Brother Keith ever has a bad sermon, that might be a miracle. He does such a fine job, and I appreciate him, and I often tell him about it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. This has to do with the apostles. They've been sharing the faith. They've been healing people, had great success at it. And the high priest gets wind of this, and of course he can't stand this, that anything spiritual was going on without him. Actually, he should have been the leader of Christianity, but uh, the, the so-called leaders quite often missed the boat, and it was people like you and me that carried the Word of God. So they threw the apostles in jail, and it wasn't long before the Lord opened the doors and told them, you go preach. And so they went to the temple and continued on their way of preaching. High priest finds out about this. He gets very upset. He gets them arrested again, calls them before the council, and he has them beaten. And he figures that's going to take care of it. Because with a beating, they're surely not going to go out and teach the Word of God. Acts 5 and verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I think America is at this point that we're going to have to make some decisions. 
Are we going to suffer for Jesus? Because the suffering is going to come. It's in the rest of the world. And by the way, when I'm in Kenya, I get a different view of the news. Uh, we don't hear everything that's going on. We really don't care. Uh, and so as I hear the news, I get kind of discouraged. Is the whole world like this? Yes, it is. And we've been so blessed in America to have the privileges and the freedoms that we do that this comes as a shock to us, that anything would go wrong. Surely we'll emerge from the direction that we're taking. I don't know that we will. You know, at some point, the world's got to cave in. That's Matthew 24. It's got to become the worst time that ever was. And you know what happens in that time? The gospel spreads all over the world at the worst time in all of history or will ever be, the gospel still holds and still has an absolute effect. But in the meantime, we're still to be pressing on with the Word of God and, and evangelizing others. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to take you to a number of verses today. Matthew 16, and let's begin in verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now Jesus had been letting them know that he was going to die. And that didn't set too well with the apostles, because they had been promised a kingdom and thrones in that kingdom. And if the king dies, where is the kingdom? And where are the thrones? And uh, selfishly, they were uh, concerned about this, and Peter especially. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Satan had put in the mouth of Peter the idea or the attempt to forego the cross to set aside sacrifice. That's the theme of my message, is sacrifice. I'm not talking economically, necessarily, though it might fit in, but there, is a, there are a lot of sacrifices that we ought to be considering. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the heart of my message, to follow Jesus. And we want to know where he's going. <laughs> He'll let us know. In Luke 9, 23, it says, take up your cross daily. In other words, be prepared every day. And we slip through the days and we don't uh, recall or remember to... Uh, talk to the Lord about what do you want for today? What are you calling, to me, calling me to do this day? It may be a calling to ministry or maybe simply patting somebody on the shoulder and saying you're doing a good job. Whatever it is, uh, we're so concerned about where we are, what we're doing, what the future holds that we forget. We're here as ministers to one another. And I, and I think Brother Keith would uphold that thought. He's not the only minister in this church. Yes, he's the key man, but here we are. 
We all have assignments, and we all should follow them. First, we gotta know them. The cross was the ultimate example, as you know, of sacrifice. There's been nothing greater than when Jesus put it all on the line. And I mean all. Because when the Father turned his face away, he rejected the man that was holding the sin of the world. And it, it was a difficult thing for Jesus. And if Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, then maybe we ought to just consider that I'm a sacrifice. And what is it that I might do? What am I called to do? How can I best serve him and complete the ministry that he has for each one of us? Always to touch others. Ministry isn't for ourselves necessarily, it's secondarily for us, but it's for someone else. I want to make two points today. One, in God's sight, all sacrifices are reasonable. Number two, some sacrifices are total. Let's look at some sacrifices being reasonable. Uh, reasonable means that just makes sense. It, it's real, it's observable, it's logical, it's genuine. And, and we would say in the vernacular of today, well, yeah, I understand. <laughs> because God isn't playing games with us. He wants us to know. He wants us to understand, and he wants us to obey. It's simple, but we get so distracted that uh, I'm afraid that we forget where our allegiance is or why he has called us and saved us and prepared us and directed us. Now, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, Paul says, you brethren, therefore you brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reason, re, I'm sorry, <laughs> reasonable service. It's just logical. In fact, it's the word that comes over into the English as logical. Sacrifices that were talked about in the Old Testament had to do with the best they had. The Lord wanted the first fruits. He wanted the best of the crop, the best of their livestock, and so forth. He was never asking for anything less than that. And yet, we try to slip through Christianity in our lifestyle, and in this day, giving Him second or third or down the line. And when we make sacrifices, how, how do we think through the process? Well, let's see what I can get away with. Let's see what the minimum is that I can give or do. How would you like to be the recipient of those lesser gifts if you have a serious need? Would you want someone giving you the leftovers? Because God gave it all, He demands us and instructs us, I want the best. But you get to keep some. And what you give will probably come back to you anyway. He never shorts us. But we, we want to short him because uh, 
I need this. I need provision. Wait a minute. God's our provider. And why are we arguing him with him about the things that we should be giving and giving him less than our best? Our existence is made up mostly of getting rather than giving. We're, we're creatures of habit, and the habit is me first, or I have needs, and, and I see this played out, and it was in my life too. When I get mine, I'll help you get yours. When I have been given all I need, then I'll give off of that somewhat to other things and other people and so forth. And then we've got this widow that the Lord says to the apostles, come here, I want to show you something. Watch that widow. And what did she give? She gave it all. What's the end of the story? Well, I suspect that she uh, walked around the corner and starved to death. We don't have the end of the story. But I'll bet she didn't starve to death. The Lord had taken care of her in some way. We don't know what it is, but we know the character of the Lord and what He would do. Life is what defines our relationship to God. And so life to us is very important, and it should be because it's a gift. It's whether living it or giving it, there's to be sacrifice. And he gives life and he takes life away. But all for a purpose and reason. Sometimes we just don't understand why. It's not always ours to understand why. How much are you willing to give? Verse 1, he says, I beseech you. I plead with you. And I looked up this word in the, in the Greek text and it's made up of Two Greek words, para and ekleo. I'm sorry, I got the wrong word. And kaleo. Para kaleo, paraclete. Does that sound familiar to you? It's the name of the Holy Spirit. And so when we make a sacrifice, the Holy Spirit is playing a role in this. Uh, the word that really describes the character and the duties of the Holy Spirit to do something, to give us comfort and peace. And when we're in a situation that we can't handle, what are we supposed to do? Call upon the Holy Spirit? No, it's better than that. The calling alongside is the Holy Spirit calling us alongside. You see, we want to go where the power is. And it's not in us. He, he's not there to assist us in our ways. He's there to lead us the way we should go following Him. Call alongside. And I think Paul is saying to us in this, come with me to share in the blessings. Let me call you alongside knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us to get us through whatever the occasion is, whatever the circumstances and the difficulties. And believe me, we have plenty of those. The role of the Holy Spirit is to bring comfort and peace. 
And I think you probably all experience it to some degree. There are times when, what do you do? There isn't anything to do. When a loved one dies, or if you know someone that's had a loved one die, what can you do? Go give them a sermon? No. Be there. That's all that you can do, and that's all you really should do. As a pastor, I was frustrated because I didn't know what I should do or say. There isn't anything. But be there. That's all they needed. There's someone to give comfort. And when we have problems, the Holy Spirit will say, come with me. Let me lead you and guide you through these difficulties. Because the difficulties are going to come, there's no question. But making a sacrifice is seen by some as a handicap. Well, if I give away things or give them my time, then that's an expense to me that I don't want to give, and I can't overcome it. But yet, we don't understand how the heart of God works. Our prayers usually concern earthly comforts and ease. I might offend somebody to say what's on my mind about that, but it seemed to me like we're always praying the privilege away of being in circumstances because the apostles came out of that situation in the jail rejoicing because they had shared in the blessing of persecution. How many of you pray for persecution? Well, I don't know that we should. It's coming, whether we pray for it or not. But believe me, times are going to, going to get tough on us. But our prayer usually concerns things that have to do with how it used to be. We lived in a time when things were different, and we can't help but look back, and we wish for the good old days. Oh, yeah, Israel did too. Let's go back to Egypt and make bricks. But that's what they wanted. They forgot what it was like. And I don't think scripturally we're to look back that much. We're to build on today and build for the future. And we better be building individually, spiritually, because the tough times are coming. It's predicted. I want to give you a challenging exercise. I know something about every one of you in this building today. You all have a need. Every one of you has something that you're praying about, concerned about, hurting over, wish were different. What do we do about that? I suggest to you that when you have a need, give away what your need is. And I decided I, this is some months ago, when I was kind of teaching myself this principle, I need to do this myself. And I was discouraged one day, quite discouraged. And I ran on somebody that needed some encouragement. And I thought, well, I need encouragement, but I'm going to give it away. And I did. And this person was uh, very encouraged with what I said. I gave them comfort and peace. What did I get out of it? No one encouraged me. 
Oh, but the Holy Spirit was there. And I hate to, word, hate to say the words, I felt good, but I felt good. That I'd done something for someone else in their need. They never knew how I felt about it. But it was gone from me too. Because I gave what I needed and wanted. And Scripture says that what we give away comes back to us. When we dispense to others, it returns to us. And that's Luke 6:38. Now, if the Lord appeared to you and asked you one question, and that question is, are you willing? What would be your answer? You know, some people need time from you, counsel, friendship, encouragement, money sometimes, physical help, all kinds of things. Are we looking for those? Are we so interested in our own lives that we just pass over what other people are feeling? That's not why we're here. But are we willing? And what would be your answer? Well, we would start asking questions, wouldn't we? Well, what is it you want me to do, Lord? How long is it going to take? What's going to be the cost? What's in it for me? Some have concluded that uh, the Lord's call and will is not reasonable. And they're listed in Scripture. One man said, let me first go and bury my father. Now, commentators usually, if not always, say his father probably wasn't even dead. So he was buying time. Well, uh, certain people in this congregation might say it this way. I'll be along directly, uh, but I've got some things to do first. One of them said, I married a wife, and you haven't gotten to know her very well yet, that you set the call of the Lord aside for your marriage? Or, well, I bought uh, some oxen, and you didn't test them to see if they could pull, and I bought some land, and you didn't check out the land to see what you're getting? You see, there was a farmer standing out in his field, and Next door neighbor came over and said, could I borrow your plow? You're not using it. And he said, no. Really? Why not? Because it's Thursday. Thursday? What's that got to do with anything? Well, nothing. But when you don't want to do something, any excuse will do. <laughs> and these men are forever listed in Scripture that they had an excuse. Not now, Lord. Later, is often too late. There was a missionary and his son in, I don't know what country, but they were out in the jungle. They were going down a path. And uh, his young son was ahead of him. And the missionary yelled at him and said, fall down. And he hit the deck. He said, now crawl. And he crawled. He said, now get up and run. And he got up and ran. And then he said, Daddy, what's going on? He said, there was a poisonous snake hanging above your head out on that limb. And if you had not obeyed me immediately, 
he could have killed you. You see, that's the obedience that the Lord wants from us. Don't question him. Do it. Because that's the only way that we can benefit is by doing his will and doing it when he says to do it, which really is when I say to do it, let's be on our way. Because later is sometimes far too late. I want to give you two quotes from somebody that I appreciate very much. He's spoken in this church, uh, Brother Jimmy Draper. Uh, went to Africa with him in 1986 on my first mission trip, and he launched me into mission work and have been going ever since. First of all, he said, you never drift anywhere worth going. We have to be precise and concise in what we do and be committed to do it. Drifting only leads you on the shore or the shoals because you have to have a goal. But if you don't see the whole goal, obedience is still good. Do it if it's the Lord's will. And then the second, and I really cherish this quote, yes, Lord, now what's the question? In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to them, 2 Corinthians, and apparently they weren't catching on to some of the things that uh, they were supposed to do. Uh, they weren't sure the Lord was going to follow through with uh, what Paul had told them that he would be doing, and they weren't sure about Paul because uh, he said he'd be coming back to see them, and they said, well, your plans may be yes or no, and he said, they're not yes or no because in him they are yes. I suspect that verse is what gave rise to that quote from Jimmy Draper. Now answer the question, are you willing? Without much information, without qualification, without hesitation, yes, Lord. We're to be committed to God's will no matter what it is that he has in mind for us. I'm like everyone else. Lord, I'll do anything, but don't send me to Africa. <laughs> and I'll be going in October for my 58th trip. And I look at that as humorous <laughs> because of what the Lord did. He took me where I didn't want to go. And I hear this, we've heard it all of our lives, we've said it. Well, I'll go anywhere but, or I'll do anything but. Oh, wait a minute, that may be the very thing he has in mind for you. Because it takes obedience and it takes faith to do what he's calling us to do. Because we don't have the resources in, in, our, in our spirit, in our body, or in our billfold. And yet, if he's the provider and we call him Lord, let's let him be Lord. Turn to Acts 9, calling of Saul. I love these couple of verses here because it really makes a point. In chapter 9 of Acts, verse 15, uh, 
this is the Lord speaking to Ananias, and he was going to let Paul know what uh, was going to happen to him, what he was going to do, calling him to ministry. And uh, so Paul is, or Saul at this point, has met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and uh, I think he moves quickly because he had no information, but he got up and went to see this man Ananias. Now you know the situation with Paul, he saw to it that Christians were jailed and killed and so forth, and to go to Ananias, it might be that Ananias had lost family members to Paul's group that were killing Christians. And here Paul was going to see this man that might have a grudge against him. Well, Paul's reputation was to Ananias, this guy's a killer, and he's coming to see me, Lord? He probably wasn't too sure that he wanted to go through with that at all. But they connected. And he says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Wow, what a ministry. Think of it. This guy gets to go to the world. Jews and Gentiles and kings and so forth. He's got an open door to all sorts of people. And we would jump on that in a minute. It's kind of an ego boost. I get to do all of that? Wait. There's two points. Verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, oh, I'm out of here. Count me out if I've got to suffer. That's part of it. I'm sorry, no, I'm not sorry to say. That's just how it is. And friends, we are on the verge of suffering in America, spiritually. Because the world hates us, and now the world has come right into America, and they're out to get us. Why? Because we're the greatest country that ever was. And we have proclaimed the greatest God that is. And so naturally they're going to hate us. But are we going to stand when it comes time to stand? Now I'm not sure what we should do except proclaim the truth and not be shaken in our beliefs and not give in to the politics or the evil of the world that is sweeping all over us. Well, this brings us to my second point. Some sacrifices are total. Um, when we're presenting our bodies, as Romans 12 says, it might end in death. Oh, we're all going to die, yes, but it might end in a sacrificial death, unexpected, because it's happening. We don't see it yet, but it's going on in the world. There's no question about it. It's not something that we pursue. Oh, I'd just love to die for Jesus. But what if that's the truth that maybe we'll have to? When Jesus was about to make his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, he gave an invitation to the apostles. Turn to John chapter 13. 
John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. Well, we know that didn't work out for Peter too well, but there are going to be a lot of pastors apologizing to Peter in heaven because he became the man that he was supposed to be. And he says, verse 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. He was told, along with the other apostles on different occasions, and even other people, follow me. The majority didn't follow Jesus. Sometimes they followed him to get a free meal. But that was it. Well, Jesus says, follow me. Where is he going? My first impulse was when I read this a long time ago was, well, he's going to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. No, he was going to the cross. Follow me, really, to a cross? In Peter's case, he was speaking very literally. You can't come now where I'm going to the cross, but you shall later to a cross. John 21. Verse 18 and 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And I think that Peter did eventually, because you never hear a whimper out of him again. He's on track. And I've tried to trace this, but I think it's somewhere around 30 years that Peter had to live with the truth that he was going to be crucified. And he was. But he didn't hesitate. He knew that he had sinned terribly against Jesus, denied him and betrayed him and all this, and tried to talk him out of the cross, and yet Jesus stuck with him. He made him into the man that he was to be. And you read First and Second Peter and you see a different man. He made the grade. Let's go back to John chapter 15. Jesus left a command John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down, that, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. See, he's building a relationship here. He's telling them what friends do, and by the way, we're friends. And I have laid down my life, now what are you going to do? 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear free fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask, in the, uh, ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, love one another. If we love one another, we should daily be willing to give our lives because Jesus never hesitated. And some people misinterpret uh, Jesus's, uh, when he was speaking about going to the cross. He was never looking for another way. He knew the way and he made sure that he died on that very moment because that was the will of the Father, and he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And his will was no different than the Father's. He just submitted to the Father. Friends give their lives for friends. We should be willing and willing every day, just in case the occasion appears before us, to give our lives for him, because it may happen. I don't see how we're going to escape it. You see, there's persecution coming. What if it is talking about a literal cross? Or what if someone puts a gun to your head and says, deny Jesus Christ? Or a knife to your throat like we've heard of. Would you deny Jesus? You better make up your mind today because the occasion might spring upon you and don't waffle. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter three. Again, verse one. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in. Uh, Athens alone and send Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel, uh, gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. What are we appointed to do? Suffer affliction. It's our assignment and what do we pray? Lord, don't let anything bad happen to me. Do you know, in the sight of God and in the plan of God, there is nothing such as bad. There are no disasters. The only disaster I can think of is when someone rejects the gospel and goes to hell. But otherwise, it's the will of God. You mean bad things, what we call bad things, are in the plan of God? Well, when you look at the seven years of tribulation, it's the worst time that ever is or will be. But the end result is he purifies the world, he purifies Israel, he saves many people, and he brings in the kingdom for a thousand years till evil springs up again. The persecution was already on the church at Thessalonica. And, and they were concerned. They, they didn't understand all of it. And he says, not to be shaken. Don't be quickly shaken by this. 
Let me read verse 4. For in fact, we told you before that when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. He was telling them, it's coming, but don't be shaken. And the word for shaken is a Greek word that has to do with a dog's tail wagging. It's not a cute little puppy dog, it's just an old street dog. But the wagging of the tail is, don't move from this position to this position, back and forth. Be decisive, don't drift anywhere, because you'll end up where you don't want to be. Make the decisions now. Would I give my life for Jesus Christ because he gave his life for me? What are we going to do? Paul reminds them, we are appointed to affliction. That's not too good of an assignment, is it? I didn't know that was part of it. Well, some of us already had that sort of thing happen in our lives. But the major part that's going on in the world isn't here yet. But it'll probably be coming, and, and I'm not going to set a time on it, but who knows when. It's looked like it's rolling right our direction. But Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we pray away our assignment. Oh, take this affliction off me. I can't stand this, Lord. It's just more than I can bear. No, that's our assignment. Let me dump this on you and see how you do, always knowing that in the midst of those problems, the Holy Spirit is quite willing to give you peace and comfort. To live is Christ and to die is gain. There was a young woman in Carthage, North Africa, in the Roman Empire that was uh, in a well-known family at that time, lady of high birth, well-educated, beautiful young lady, recently married, had a baby boy, and she became a Christian. And Christians weren't too well-liked in those days. And she was arrested for her faith, imprisoned. And her elderly father came pleading with her on his knees, sacrifice to the gods of Rome and save your life. And she refused. She was taken a little later to have her trial. Many people showed up because she was a rather important figure and her family's important in the community. They wanted to see how this went. Besides, they wanted to see Christians persecuted. The father brought the child, placed him before her again, begging her on his knees, please renounce Christ. And she said, I will not. And the public prosecutor named Hilarion even pleaded with her and, and said these words, in mercy to your aged father, in mercy to your babe, throw not away your life, but sacrifice to the gods. And she replied, I'm a Christian and I cannot deny Christ. She was sentenced to the Colosseum, and I won't give you the gory details except to say wild animals were turned on her, 
a friend of hers, and many others, and they were all killed. The English Baptist John Ripon wrote these words in 1787, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid up for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. The answer is yes, Lord. Now what's the question? Let's pray. Father, you give us sometimes tough assignments, but the peace that comes in doing your will is overwhelming to us, not the events or the circumstances, but how that you could heap upon us your magnificent grace. But we accept it because it's from you and we know it's perfect and you don't make any mistakes. And for that we will be eternally grateful in Jesus' name, amen.